Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I'm so glad that you're here. And I, I don't know what's going on in your heart and your mind right now, but if there's one thing that I'm learning is that racism is a very real issue in our world, and it's in the church. It's in the church. And if you're white, I, I want to speak to you, and I think I can because I'm white. And every day I get up, I don't even begin to understand people of other ethnicity, what they have to deal with. And if there's anything I'm learning about me, and I'm pretty sure it's about you as well, when it comes to racism, I can only say it this way. If you think you have an opinion and you're white, it's probably because you're dealing with racism. Because I don't know what it is. Every day I get up, I get a free pass every day. I walk through a world when I make a mistake and being white, someone will say, well, that's just stupid Keith. My brother Luca makes a mistake. It's very common. That's just those black people. Every day he gets up. He's reminded he's the other. And that's just not right. And I want us to learn something here. That one, we need to learn to be active listeners. It's probably the biggest, uh, I think, struggle that we have in our white world. We're living in a very privileged, dominant white culture. And racism isn't going to be dealt with and the church needs to lead this. And I'm going to have Dr. Joanne speak to that in a moment. Until... We understand what it means to be an active listener and then also understand when the Bible says we're to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers are people that sometimes just sit back and hope it goes away. And I got to tell you, I think that's sin. Because the Bible says as Christians, when you know the right thing to do and don't do it, it's counted to you as sin. Sitting back idle and playing quiet is wrong. We're called to be peacemakers. And the Bible says when we become peacemakers, we are the children of God. That's what it means to be a child of the king. And so church, I want you to listen because I've already had a few things said to me. We're in the church. But I've had some people say, you understand, you're probably going to lose your con- some of your congregation. And I just went, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. If they're going to label themselves Christian, we're going to talk about something that's very dear to the heart of God and it's going to bother them. Well, church, I'm going to remind you something. If it bothers you, you're going to have a real problem with heaven if you think you're going there because Jesus isn't white. He ain't white. I've been to Israel. 
And if that's a struggle, it, it just tells me you've, you're dealing with some racism. And so I want you to look at this stage because you're getting a glimpse of heaven. You're getting a glimpse of heaven. Now remember when Luke and I were talking, his world is different than my world shouldn't be, but it is because of the color of his skin. And we talked a little bit about him getting up here and he shared some things with me and I want you to know what I said. And I simply looked at him and said, listen, brother, if someone walks out, I'm walking in. I got your back. I got your side. I got your front. You're my brother in Christ. And we're in this. I'm not, I'm not afraid to step in on this because we need to deal with this. And this ain't going to be our first rodeo. We need to continue to keep talking. I want this church to be the place. I don't care what your ethnic background is. Welcome home. Amen. You're home. You are home. Everybody matters. Can I tell you, can I tell you all color is? It's just God's creativity, but it's all different versions of the same image of God. And God likes every one of his versions. <laughs> and so do I. So we need to have this conversation. So Dr. Joanne, I want to introduce real quick, and then I want you to speak, okay? This is my brother and sister. This is Art and Nellie. And I'm so glad that they're here. And by the way, these two uh, in just a few months will be moving to Sioux City and they're going to plant a celebrate church there in Sioux City. So I'm really excited about that. So excited about that. And this, this is my brother Luca. And this is Helena. And then this next to Helena is Robert. And so, yeah. <laughs> I love it every time you do that. Um, and then this is Dr. Joanne that I introduced to you earlier. And Joanne, would you just share with us as we get started? Uh, yes, I was talking with Keith and I thought we need to kind of start with a baseline. The church began 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's, you can read that in Acts first chapter, second chapter, and then we see how the followers of Jesus just increased, increased. I love it because it says, finally, the numbers became so many we couldn't count them anymore. I think that could happen here. But when the Holy Spirit was poured out, this is when, when God said, no, I'm going to put, and it was, it, the, the prophecy was in Jeremiah, there will be a day when I will put my law in their hearts. Not have to figure out, oh, am I, is this right? But the Spirit of God in us. We find that then all through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit in us. So since that time, God no longer thunders out of heaven and says what should happen. Since that time, God has chosen to thunder through this world, through you and through me. Now, if I were God, I would have never done it that way because I would have never trusted you. And me too. <laughs> but you know what? That day of Pentecost, 
There were all different kinds of people, all different ethnic groups, all different color of skin people there. All people from the known world at that time were there. God started his church, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multicolor. The world at that time had never seen, and they didn't know what to call this. They called these people the way, they didn't know what it was, and some kind of religion maybe, they weren't quite sure. But they had never seen one that had multiculture, because all the other religions and the pagan religions and all of this were monoculture. And then you find, they finally said, we don't know what to call this, so maybe, and you will find that text in the scriptures that says, the disciples were first called Christian at Antioch, the city of Antioch. And that's because there were so many different colors, they couldn't identify it, so many different ethnic groups. And so they thought, well, this is a really unique name. Let's just name ourselves Christian, which is a follower of Christ. Now, we have used the term so long for 2,000 years, we've forgotten that that's what it really meant, that it meant a multi-ethnic, multicultural, the, the whole range of God's people in the world. There were people in Jerusalem that day from Africa, by the way. North Africa, they were there. They were all over. And then we see another view of God's people in Revelation, where it says, around the throne of God, there will be from every tongue, nation, and tribe. Yeah. That's God's vision. It was the vision 2,000 years ago, his, who, his vision at the end, and we're in the middle here. And he's calling us to be his church now, and it may be more difficult now than it's ever been before, but that doesn't matter because he's giving us the power to be able to do that. Right. He's calling us to do right. that. And so today, that, I just want to give that baseline. This isn't some new political idea. This is God's idea, and this is God's idea for his church, and I'm grateful today that we're having this very difficult conversation. And then one of the things that I hear, um, people will say, oh, yeah, well, I'm fine. I'm just colorblind. I'm colorblind. Well, you know what? When I look at Robert, I see a black man, and he wants me, he wants me to know that he's black. And so when we say we're colorblind, that means we're dismissing anybody that's different from us. And so we're not in this world to be dismissive. We're in this world to learn, to listen, and to really understand what that means. So uh, just a little word out there. Don't use that word. <laughs> I'm old and I should just be a boss here. Um, because that's insulting to anyone else not, that's not like you. And so we want to really value all of this and all the culture and how it contributes to making the church the strongest force in the world. That's right. Luca, I want to, I want to begin with you. When you and I had met multiple times, one of the things that you said that just, it, it really grabbed me, is that you said, every day that I get up, I'm reminded I'm the other. I, I want you to speak into that. Right. Um, I was born and raised in Kenya. I'm not from here, but I came here for school. Um, uh, getting a chance to go to Augie was an answer to a prayer for me and my family. And, um, you know, I was, when it came together, uh, man, the excitement, the elation that my whole family felt. Um, and right before I left, um, my mentor sat me down. 
um, and we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things he said to me is, you are going to be aware of something that you've never been aware of um, in the same way before. You're going to realize that you're black. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, like, I, I, I think I know that. <laughs> I think I've seen a mirror before. I am aware of the facts. You know, and I'd been to, uh, I'd had the blessing of going to an international high school with people from all over the world. So I thought I understood race. I'd read about it. I'd, you know, I understood it as well as I could. Until I landed in the airport and I started to, I had my first lesson in what he was talking about. When I left Nairobi and landed in the Zurich airport, that was the first time I was in a room, a big room, where everyone was white except for me. And it was a jarring feeling. It was like a shock of, uh, to my senses. It was like, wow, I'm, I'm definitely not uh, represented here. I'm, an, I'm not in the majority anymore for the first time in my life. Um, it was a lesson that I would continue to understand the complexities of the more time I spent here in Sioux Falls. I, um, during my first semester, I had another hard lesson. I was walking with my friend to the store from Augie, and um, someone rolled down the car window and shouted, get out of the United States, you mother effing N-word. And I was shocked, I was paralyzed. It just, my stomach just sunk. You know, I thought like with all this time I spent reading about civil rights, whatever, I, there was nothing that I'd done before that prepared me for that moment. But that was just um, a small representation of something much larger. Um, because there's plenty of times where I was in situations where, you know, we were the only black people in the room and you feel people looking at you. There's plenty of times where um, I've gone to, with my friends to a certain store to buy something and they're getting service and I'm not and I'm wondering what's going on here. Racism isn't just the guy who shouts a racial slur outside the window. It's a whole spectrum of things, often by very well-intentioned people who are doing subconscious things, things they aren't thinking about, well-intentioned, but not thinking about, not aware of, that reminds minority people, oh, you're not, you're not from here. And this is not a place that is built for you. And what my mentor was trying to do was to give me a crash course. He was trying to have a conversation with me that every minority who is a who is a parent, a parent who is a minority, has to have with their, with their children. And I'm excited for, for you, all of you to hear what that is like for Rob and what it is like for Art and Noelia. But the reality is it's been, it's, 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 it's a topic that most churches are silent on. Because as much as we know abolitionists were from the church, as much as we know that, um, that the civil rights movement was, went through the church, Minorities know both sides of the story. They know the church has been on both sides of this. You ask an African-American how important the, uh, the church was in upholding the institution of slavery. In Africa, where I'm from, everywhere that colonialists wanted to go and plunder the land, they sent missionaries there first. You ask a Native American how important the Catholic church was in writing the edicts for their land to be taken away. So when you said you wanted to do this, I, I, was, I reserved my skepticism. And I told you before we started, I didn't believe you'd do this until you did it. 
Because the church, is, the church always has a decision. Are we going to be complicit? Are we going to be silent? Are we going to be a part of the solution? Just speaking from a parent's perspective, um, I've been here since 1996. Um, my wife and I, we have biracial children, and you tend to believe that in the early goings when they're young, you, you don't need to have the conversation, just let it play out, see what happens as far as how life actually works, how it is to be a black human being, a person. and you don't really take the necessary steps right away to be aggressive with acknowledging um, what someone may say to you, how you may feel in certain situations, and some of the cruelty that goes along um, with maybe some others that does not um, have a good heart um, to treat people the same. And my wife and I, uh, we really did not have um, the decision-making at the time, right away when they were young, to um, have the conversation with them to let them know that you're gonna have people that address you as being different or the other. And you're going to walk in a store and you're going to notice you're going to be looked at a certain way, um, that maybe someone doesn't appreciate your presence. and you really wrestle with that because you don't know if you should or should not have the conversation. Um, and the first time I, I really, I realized that um, I failed, I feel I failed at that with my um, kids was my daughter, she was dating a white male and this was her first time dating. And out of the blue, he decided to break up with her. And one of the questions that she asked this gentleman was, is it because I'm black? Why would she come to that conclusion? Why would she have to ask that question? And that was at the point that I realized she's feeling, she has a feeling inside her that we don't recognize. Um, my son played basketball a few years ago. He was playing a basketball game here in Sioux Falls um, against another team that was from out of town. And he was just behaving. He was arguing with a player that was um, guarding him. And he never really, I'd never seen him behave like that before during the game. And I was really wondering what, is, what was going on, what was happening. I couldn't hear anything. I was on the bench as a coach. And after the game, I realized my son, after my son was in tears, after the game, he did not want to shake um, the player's hand at the end, which, to which I was very upset about because that's sportsmanship. And come to find out, this player called my son the N-word a couple of times, and it hurt him really bad. It hurt him. And we just decided that we're gonna have the conversation with our kids to be aware of these type of things that's happening, and so they understand that they, there's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not different. You have other people out there that may treat you that way, but it's not you. You know, Robert,
I don't have those conversations with my children. And that's why, again, I want to really encourage you, if you're white, be an active listener. And I, I'm saddened when we think about you being a creation of God in his image. And yet God wants you to exhaust the energy in all of the things that you get to be what God made you to be. And yet to think, that's why when we were together, I just wept thinking all the energy that you have to expound in trying to educate how your children need to function in a world based upon their color. And I, uh, that's why we're having this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Nellie, I see you down there nodding your head. And uh, I want you to speak into this as well. Absolutely. As you all can see, I am Hispanic. But um, we have to teach our kids that they are not white. They are Hispanic. And actually, I forgot to say this before. I have two, uh, three kids, and two of them don't speak Spanish. And I asked them why, and they don't want to have an accent like I do because they get judged by that. Um, I'm a store manager. That's what I do. I've been doing that my entire life since I'm 19 years old. And customers have complaints, and they ask, I want to speak to the manager, and there comes Nelly. And Nellie's not white, and they, the first thing they ask is, no, I don't want to talk to you. You cannot be the manager. I want to talk to your boss. Who's your boss? I want to talk to them. Um, another experience that I would love to talk and share with you is that <clears throat> one time I was in a round table, and I had my associates with me, and um, they asked me if I had papers. And... I actually said, well, what kind of papers are you talking about? Are you talking about toilet paper, <laughs> tissue paper, <laughs> blank paper? I don't know what you're talking about. And I actually said, yes, I do, and I am legal, because another thing that I have said to me is, I will call immigration on you. Um, so it's, it's really, really hard that every day I look myself in the mirror, and before I go to work, I have to pump myself up and realize that I am not like everybody else. I am Hispanic and you can all tell that, that I am. So uh, somebody asked me, how do I feel about that? How does it make me feel? And it makes me feel really not worthy. I am not worthy. I have to work two, three times harder to be able to obtain a title in my job place. I have to show that I'm better, that I can do a better job and work harder than anybody else because everybody's looking at us. If we make one mistake, it's not Nelly made a mistake, it's the Mexicans made a mistake. And by the way, I'm not Mexican, I'm from Nicaragua, just to let you all know. <laughs> Robert, I want you to chime in on that just a little bit. Um. Just, as, um, just as she spoke about being a manager, um, I'm also a manager too. And I just want to say sometimes you don't have the courage because inside you feel unworthy to exercise your talents. So when an opportunity comes to where you can advance, uh, maybe in your workplace, um, and I've done this in the past, I have decided not to take the opportunity to do it because I wanted to be hidden. I didn't want to have to face those challenges every single day. 
and get put in a place to where they're going to design it for me to fail. They will put you in a position to fail. Don't do it. You hear that voice and then you start to believe it. You start to believe that you're not capable. You start to believe that you're not able. You start to believe you don't have the talent and it's a big, it's a big lie. It really is. And I have my beautiful wife that reminds me of that one. In the past when I was going through these, these struggles, and she would say to me, you're not going to take that job. You are well more qualified to do something better than that. And I can't wrestle with her because her heart is way bigger than mine. So. I, I, and I think what all of you are touching on is just the there's a big part of your brain that is dedicated just to navigating in a society that is not built for you because it is exhausting. Um, I, I go to a predominantly white school um, and any minority will tell you there, we walk into the classroom, very often you're the only person of color in that classroom and there's a weight on you um, because of, you know you are representing a lot more than just you. You know you are representing black people or Africans on your back, you know? For a lot of people, that weight is so heavy that they just check out. But for, for a lot of the time, you have to be giving yourself that pep talk. You know, I am supposed to be here. I have earned it. I am supposed to be here. I'm, this is what I'm meant to do. And it just takes summoning so much courage and strength every day. Because we know there's a set of rules. There's a way we have to navigate through society. I cannot be angry the way Keith could. If Keith gets angry, and if he's angry enough, he might raise his voice. And people will look at him and think, wow, you are really angry. I wonder what made him feel that way. If I or Rob or Art gets angry, we are perceived as threatening, as a lot more threatening. So we know that. And we can't, we, that means we have to keep calm in situations that would not be, calmness would not be demanded of others. If Noelia gets mad, She's hysterical. She's easily dismissed. That is something, that is just one set of rules and expectations, one on a long set of rules and expectations that we all had to learn. And for those who are parents, they have to teach their children. There are certain things you have to do this way to function in this society. And it's exhausting, it's draining. Waking up in the morning to tell yourself, I, I, I need to go through my day and achieve and be great nonetheless, it takes summoning a lot of courage. It's hard. Um, and I appreciate you for doing it. And the, um, the, for the church, um, it's important for them to decide that they want to be part of relieving that. You know, it takes saying, it doesn't take, like, the, uh, my problem with the video is the implication that curing the inequities is by acting like they don't exist saying, oh, you're not black, I'm, I'm not white, we're just all the same. What's that saying? If you say that to me, what I'm hearing is, I'm assuming that you and me walk through the world in the same way. I'm not acknowledging the baggage that you carry through society as you walk every day. If you do want to get to a colorblind society, the way to get there is not by pretending we're colorblind. It's by doing the hard work of relieving that. It's by taking one of these guys and saying, hey, you know, you're, you're a Hispanic person in Sioux Falls, you're a black person in Sioux Falls, and I wanna know what that's like so that I, so that I can not only validate 
you and affirm you, but I can make sure I am not complicit in building a society where you have to feel that way. And it takes hard, uncomfortable conversations, but it's the hard work you have to do if you want to get to what that to what that colorblind society looks like. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It also means about it's not something that men that we can do on our own. It's about the power of God that helps us. Amen. And uh, and that's why I say the church can lead in this. And I just want to give. I was. Uh, on a race in, several years ago, on a race and justice commission out of the White House, and we were having various conversations, and I was on a conversation with some of the leading attorneys from the Department of Justice, and we, again, were looking at policies and different kinds of things, and finally, at the end of that conversation, I was on that conversation with two, about three other uh, church leaders as well, and the, the attorney, and I do not know what his faith is, I do not know anything about him, but the leading attorney at the Department of Justice lowered his voice at the end of what we're saying, and he said, really, folks, and he even had a tremor in his voice. I thought he was going to cry. He said, really, folks, you are the only ones who can help us. This is a heart issue. And I've never been able to get away from that because what he was saying is, church, we can't do this. We need you to lead in this. Because it's the transforming power of Christ deep within that begins to bring the healing that we need to do. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yeah, to the note, um, he was saying, uh, I don't know if you catch, uh, Lucas say, minorities. You know, um, I, I was in a store um, a couple of days ago, and uh, I, me and my wife were shopping around, and um, last, I know last prevention saw me and um, they were waiting for me at the front when I was paying and there was a group of people there waiting for me I think to arrest me you know because they they saw me and they saw this Hispanic you know and uh, I really got nervous and the first thing that comes into your mind take your place as my minority you are you know take your place uh, conduct yourself in a way that not being yourself I mean I, I, I don't know I mean to think about it is how, you know, this is the way I am. So, you know, I, I hold to it um, and I was careful, you know, try to smile, be friendly, but I could see their faces. You know, they were ready to arrest me and I was like, well, why? And you know, I'm paying. And, and that's, that's the way we, we deal with it uh, in a daily basis. And I know you guys have felt that. I mean, when you go to any place, shop around, you got to, you know, behave yourself because if you touch certain things in a certain way, you know, people are going to think that you're stealing because of the color of your skin or how you look or how you dress. Or if you have tattoos, you know, they, they go in and they already have this idea who you are. And what we are, we are, we are human beings. That's who we are. Helena. I want, I want you to speak into this. And um, you come from a different angle on this, but it's very dear to your heart. Okay, hi everyone, I'm Helena. Um, you're probably wondering why I'm up here because I look just like you. Um, <laughs> while I don't know what it's like to walk in these guys' skin every day, um, I do know what it's like to live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota as a minority. Um, I'm an international student. I was born and raised in Berlin, Germany. 
I got to the U.S. a couple of years ago, and I've been living here, studying here. I walked with Luca at Augustana. We started our journey together and have been doing it ever since. And um, while I don't know what it's like to be in their skin, I do know what it's like um, to be judged by a label. Because whenever I meet anyone here, it's, hi, this is Helena. She's from Germany. And then you already know who I am. Germans are efficient, Germans are productive. We have good beer. Um, you have a stereotype in mind. <laughs> but the fact is there is so much more to me than just the fact that I'm German. Um, my dad's from Afghanistan, he immigrated. Um, my whole family is refugees and they're in Berlin and Germany. My mom's from Serbia. Um, so from the day I was born, I started breathing diversity. Half of my family is brown. My brother doesn't share the same skin color as me. When we're out, people don't see us as siblings because we don't look the same. Um, so with that said, I've, I've learned what it's like to feel as the guest here. Whenever I'm addressed by someone, I feel like a guest. Even after four years of living in the States, still whenever you address me by my label, you make me feel like a guest. And despite your excitement about the fact that I'm from Germany, because you all have questions and I'd love to answer all of them, that's a part of how it makes me feel. And if that's how it makes me feel as someone who's sharing this right privilege, I can't even imagine how it makes them feel. So I'm asking you, I'm not asking you to not acknowledge the fact that we're different. I'm asking you to drop the ignorance, to, to ask what does it feel like? Why is he any less, less welcome than me in this world? Because we're the same. I, I want to read something from a book. If I could recommend a book to you, it is by Miles McPherson. It's called The Third Option. Uh, the forward was actually done by the... Uh, Saints quarterback Drew Brees, um, who's a really close friend of his. Um, it's an amazing book on racially, if you will, how reconciliation can happen. But for Joanne and I, it's not about racial reconciliation. It's about racial healing. There's been a lot of hurt. And we need to be agents of healing. And uh, uh, that's what I want to be. But I want to read something that I think that I love about uh, Miles that he puts in here. And to help you understand, Miles was an NFL, uh, literally superstar, who found the Lord while he was playing football. And now he pastors a church in San Diego. It's a church of about 20,000 people on the weekends. And it's considered the most multi-ethnic church in America. And uh, I, I, just, I, I just love this man. Incredible brother of God. But here's what he writes, and just keeping it really simple, and I think it will help you. And uh, last night I had a gentleman come up and said, until you read that, I didn't understand. He's a white guy. He said, but after you read it, I get it now. Here, here's what Miles writes. I'm often overlooked, he said, because I'm a lefty. If you're right-handed, you probably can't understand what it's like to live in a left-handed world. That's why I love Dr. Stephen Jones his analogy of privileged and being right-handed. He asks, do we live in a right-handed world or a left-handed world? He points out, we shake hands 
with our right hands. We pledge with our right hands. We salute with our right hand. We take legal and governmental oaths with our right hand. School desks are set up for right-handed people. Most baseball mitts and golf clubs are designed for right-handed people. Notebooks and three-ring binders are designed for right-handed people. Just ask a left-handed person if their left hand was strained with ink from elementary school writing lessons. We live in a right-handed world, and the majority, the righties, don't even realize it. But every single lefty notices it every single day. Right-handed people have come to expect doors to open certain ways, whether literally or figuratively. The right-handed people are in the majority and will therefore make all decisions that benefit them. But every lefty knows. And every lefty feels that strain. And then he goes on and compares that to racism. If you're white, it's like being right-handed. But my wife is very aware this is a right-handed world because she's left-handed. And she deals with that every day. Folks, this is a very male, white, privileged culture. And even in that, this racism isn't even about the color of skin. Sarah, who's in a wheelchair, afterwards came up with tears and she says, Pastor, I feel that same thing when people see me coming in my wheelchair. I have another brother who came up and said, I was born with hearing of hearing imperative issues. And growing up, I know exactly what it's like to be the other, to be laughed at as a child. The moment I talk, they notice something's different. And women feel the sting of that, even in a white, privileged, male, dominant world. That's why I love Dr. Joanne. And this might rattle a few of you, but I love women in ministry. I believe it's part of God's design. And I know men that go, well, I could never go to a church where there's a woman pastor. And all I'd say is, that's just because you don't know the scriptures. And that's an issue of prejudices. It's in your heart. Because my Bible says God's truth will set you free. And you'll see things. I will tell you this, men. You might want to deal with this. If it wasn't for the women, there would have been no resurrection of Jesus. Because the men were in hiding. It was the women that let him know that he had risen from the grave. It's just a reality. Better deal with it and thank God for Esther. And so I'm just sharing with you. I think there's so many things in the church that got to that got to stop, that aren't based on God's truth. They're based upon some of our own upbringing, the ignorance that we were taught, and our own laziness that we won't get in the Word and understand the truth. That's why Jesus said, "Your problem isn't anything. You just don't know the Word. But when you know that truth, it sets you free. It's a game changer." So I love to be in the Word, because the more I read the Word, the more I understand the heart of the Father. 
and the more I become more like Jesus Christ. This is an incredible picture of heaven. And Jesus said, our prayer needs to be, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's time to bring a little heaven here on earth, people. And it's time to understand, you know, that we're the agents of change. I want to pray here, but Joanne, I want you to share just in just a moment, just your heart. And we're going we're gonna to go into prayer and we're going to let, let it just be a moment that we're going to learn that God speaks other languages too. And you'll understand the moment. And we're going to sing a song, but man, I'm just asking for God to move in the Holy Spirit. Man, I don't want to play church. I don't want to just listen to things. I want us to be a church that starts being the agent of change. And we bring reconciliation, healing. And we start moving through this city. And we start helping people understand it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter whatever ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you've got finance, whatever it is. You are welcome home here. This is home. And we're just glad you're here because we're in this together. We're in this together. Joanne. I just want to say that in the beginning of the church, the early church, when people were baptized... It was referred to as the baptismal formula. It's in Galatians. In Christ, we are neither male nor female, bond or slave, Jew or Greek. In other words, it meant no gender bias, no racial bias, and no economic bias. That was how we were baptized. Amen. When we were baptized, those very words were said called the baptismal formula. I'd love to see that resurrected again. That when we are baptized into Jesus and in his church, that's who we are. Yeah. Yeah. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I love what Miles says. Racial reconciliation won't happen until we love each other with a godly love that takes our will and breaks our hearts. It breaks our hearts. And uh, I get emotional every time I say this. I love you all so much. You're helping me understand who our Heavenly Father is in ways that I need to understand. And uh, I just can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough. I, I'm saddened that, that we have to use words like courage to have a conversation like that in the church. This should be as breathing. It's just who we are. And uh, that just tells me we got work to do. And so I just want to have a word of prayer. And I'm just asking you, when we're done praying, folks, I know that it's snowing out there. Your car's covered. It's going to take you a year and a half to get it out anyway. And so you're not in any hurry. Man, I'll order everybody pizza if you want. But, but I want, yeah. <laughs> now all the white guys come alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> So, I, uh, uh, I <laughs> so now they're making orders, man. I love it. I will. I'll order everybody pizza if you want, but I don't care. It's good. But I want to pray, and we're going to sing a song. I want you to listen to the words. It's a new song out by Charlie Puth and uh, James Taylor. 
and they, they came together in a song that I just called Change. And I, I want to, I'm just really asking for God to move. I don't want to play church. Revival doesn't start out here. It starts here. And, and if we're looking for revival in this nation, well, then let me tell you how it works. It's when you quit looking to the person next to you. It's when you let God start it in your heart. We need to get like David in Psalm 51. We got to get broken. We need God to circumcise our heart just to get in there and start cutting up what needs to be cut up and break it for what breaks God. This is what it's about. And, and I appreciate what, what uh, uh, David Pratt says. Uh, he says that we need to call racism, racism what it is. It's called sin. Just call it what it is. It's sin. And we've got it. We just got to get broken. And I want to, I want to be that. I'm going to be home to the Father soon enough, man. I want to be an agent of change in this world now more than I've ever wanted to be. So let's just pray, church. Gracious Heavenly Father. Padre que estás en los cielos. Thank you for this moment. Gracias por este momento. Move in us. Muévete en nosotros. Convict us. Convéncenos. Break us. Quiebranos, Señor. What breaks your heart. Lo que te quiebra tu corazón. Give us your eyes. Déjanos ver como tú miras. To see as you see. Para mirar lo que tú miras, Señor. Give us your heart. Danos tu corazón. To care the way you care. Para poder amar como tú amas. Give us ears to listen. Danos oídos para escuchar. Truly listen to a story. Verdaderamente escuchar las historias. I thank you for my brothers and sisters on this stage. Gracias por mis hermanos y mis hermanas que están aquí. That they care enough to share their story. Que han tenido el valor de decir sus historias. God, I pray that we hear it. Que podamos escuchar. Us as a white race. Nosotros como una raza blanca. And to care as you care. Y que empecemos a querer. And that their story would become our story. Y que su historia sea nuestra historia. And we would be that agent of change. Y seamos el agente de cambio. God, thank you. Muchas gracias, Señor. You're an awesome God. Eres un Dios maravilloso. In Jesus' name.